Welcome to Herp Talk Radio. I'm your host, Matthew, and my co-host is Peggy Detmer. Coming to you live from the Black Hills. It's Herp Talk Radio. So, Peggy, how are the turtles? <laughs> oh, well, I had to separate more of the piranhas away from their smaller siblings, and I put them in the bigger tank. Let's see. Can I, yeah, yeah, there we go. The bigger tank behind me. <laughs> and... Uh, the, the the one real uh, offending one, she went after Freyer, <laughs> my bigger, biggest male I have, and, and she certainly learned, learned not to do that. <laughs> but um, so I just cleaned out the tank the uh, day before yesterday, and because now I have six turtles in a 75, um, uh, so I've got three three-inchers in there and uh, three, oh, five to six-inchers in there. But um, so I'll be cleaning the tank uh, every two weeks until I can let those little ones go. <laughs> but your turtle aggression should be dialing back a little bit, huh? Well, I'm I'm cutting back on their food. I'm going to um, give them their time off, um, unplug the heater. And uh, we, we keep our log cabin here at about 50 degrees, um, uh, uh, the thermostat. And then... Um, we, if we want to get it warmer, we heat it up with a wood stove. <laughs> so it's, uh, they'll, they'll go into a slight, slight brumation where I don't feed them. And for about a, uh, about three weeks and then, uh, come April, turn the heater back on and start feeding them again. And, and then, uh, they, uh, already, although they're, uh, they're doing their courtship dance in earnest. Um, I don't know what's spurring them. Maybe it's just the, the babies. <laughs> They're like, oh, uh, we're seeing new turtles in here, so let's do our thing. It must be spring. <laughs> but, yeah, so, and I'm excited about our guests, speak, you know, uh, well, that uh, is going to really educate us on the turtle breeding. But what have, what have you been up to, Matt, uh, Matthew, with your snakeys? Yeah, no, just everything I've ever said on this podcast is completely thrown out the window at this point. Um, oh, yeah? Why every is that? plan I have ever made is gone. <laughs> it's just gone. I, I have no plans anymore. They've got wrecked. Okay, there's explain no what happened. Here. Well, there's the berm. There's, like, you know, a whole bunch <laughs> of stuff. Other than not being focused at all and completely bouncing all around into what i want to do yeah that's okay over here okay yeah this this week we have patrick holiday from tennessee who uh is um quite the turtle breeder and has a lot of really really interest interesting red ear slider morphs and uh i love seeing what uh he posts on instagram and um also um he i have shared with him um uh, some of our, um, the line, the, my clown line, <clears throat> since I don't have the space to keep a bunch of babies, I'm sending um, uh, babies his way of my uh, clown's brother, um, who I, I'm really suspicious that it is a, a het since the, the clown clutch, there was out of the 10 um, eggs that were all um, fertile, um, Five of them were clown, and the other five were um, wild type. Um, that's that. Those sort of numbers would 
possibly tell us that the the wild types were then all hits, but um, we'll see. You know, we're we're going to be breeding to find out such things. Um, so I'm I'm sending all the get to Patrick because he's got the the room to uh, to grow these out and to uh, let us know what he comes up with. So how are you doing tonight, Patrick? Pretty good. I'm happy to be yeah. talking about turtles. I mean, <laughs> any chance you get for someone to be like, hey, turtles, and just let you go, I'm all about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes me excited. That means you're going to be the perfect guest. <laughs> we can just give you the ball and roll with it. Then. That's great. I mean, the few times Peggy and I spoke on the phone, it'll be like, hey, just I have a quick question. You know, just a minute of your time, and then an hour and a half later, like, okay, we should. We, we, one of us has got to go. It just That's why you start a podcast. That is why you have a podcast right there, because every phone call yeah. turns into an hour and a half, and when you want to just oh, have yeah. hour and a half phone calls with people, yeah, yeah. just record it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What got you into reptiles? Like how um, you got okay. here? For sure. So when uh, when I was about three, three years old, four years old, something like that. Uh, my grandmother came home, and her and her sister had been doing a survey on the farm they grew up with or grew up on about 30, 40 minutes from where we live now. And they were walking one of the old, like, logging trails through the woods that they owned. And I I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was a box turtle because I was only three. But she almost stepped on it just walking, you know, down the path and just was like, oh, there's a turtle. And so – you know, she picked it up and brought it home, and she was like, hey, I thought you would like to have this, which we know is now a no-no, but, you know, I was three years old, so I was so excited, and I had this pet turtle, and um, I did about as well with it as a three-year-old is going to do with a baby box turtle, which we know are super finicky and require, like, such precise, um, you know, care and, and everything and attention to detail, so that didn't go great, but since then I uh, I've never not had any. There was a spell in high school where I just didn't have the time to keep any, and then after high school I got back into it and then started trying to get more into the breeding. But when I was three, I got one, and then all through like my childhood and even into my younger teens, I never didn't have turtles. I always had tanks or ponds in the backyard or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, oh. I took off from the beginning. Awesome. Yeah. So what lines are you working with? Uh, I'm working with a bunch of stuff right now. And I think, oddly enough, one of the things I'm most excited to be working with is the, uh, I don't know if you say exanthic or azanthic, however it's pronounced, but the exanthic red ears. They're, they're not very common right now. Um, and I think they're underutilized, to be honest. They're, they're just like a melanistic. They have black eyes and black skin, but they don't produce the yellows and the greens. And so you have a black red-eared slider, but it still has the where the yellow stripes on the skin would be. It's more of a whitish blue. Uh, and then the, the ears are still red. So with a charcoal, you get a completely blank, patternless animal that is black or even like a deep blue-gray. And with the Xanthics, you get the same thing, but it retains all that pattern. And... I just think that it's, uh, I think it has a lot of potential to be mixed into other morphs so that you can get that coloration that people love with the melanistics, with the charcoals and the black pearls and things like that. But you don't have to sacrifice 
the actual pattern that you get. So things like clowns or pastels or anything like that, you know, it, when you breed those into a melanistic, you get another, not necessarily blank, but just a more plain version of those two genes coming together. And, you know, I'm saying, I'm speaking about stuff I hope is the truth. I hope the Xanthics do that. But so far, nobody's made any, um, they've not made any combos with the Xanthics. And I don't think anyone's even made any hets or double hets with the Xanthics. And so oh, I man. actually, right now, my phone is blowing up. I have one of the original Xanthic females imported into the States. She's been pacing and dug like five or six test nests today. And that will be oh. a first. Yeah, that will be a first, which hopefully if those are good eggs, that will be a first in that step in that direction. So I'm really excited about that. Even though I'm a clown guy, everyone knows I like clowns and pastels and high color turtles, but this lower <laughs> color one, I think could be something really unique. Cool. Uh, I'm, I'm going to I, I'm gonna have to really follow that because right there you said, you know, there's three dark red ear sliders and, you know, that um, I was just thinking, you know, charcoal. And, uh, and so you just listed three um, dark morphs that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of us who, do, who don't follow all the morphs in the, the red ear sliders. Um, that's really interesting. We'll have to I have to go and, and, and really study your page even more to see if I can learn how to uh, distinguish between the the azanthics uh, and the uh, mm. charcoals. And, and what was the, the other one that you mentioned? Uh, the black pearls. The black pearls. Now, yeah, the what... black pearls are just the Chinese line of melanistic, okay. and the charcoal is just the U.S. bread line of melanistics. Oh, okay. Or and can you tell a difference? <laughs> no, not really. Uh, nope. some people say you can, some are like, oh, you know, these have, you know, this slight hue of brown and these have blue, but I have, you know, I have the Xanthics and the black pearls and the charcoals and I could hold up well, the black pearls and the charcoals. I could hold two next to each other and guys that have been doing this for 50 years, I couldn't pick them apart. Like there's variation, but that's more from just turtle to turtle, individual to individual, not morph to morph when it comes to the melanistics. Okay. Um, hold on a sec. I've got a dog that's grabbing the squeaky toy. <laughs> so I know nothing about the morph game or about okay. turtles. I know a lot about the morph game. Uh, yeah. So with, with red-eared sliders then your guys are like at the very beginning essentially, cause you guys don't have snows, which you could have, you know, an albino. They're albino yeah. and anery or exanthic you know there are one of the older morphs that we have is called a snow but you'll hear some guys that have either they were into snakes and have kind of moved into turtles or they're into both and they'll they'll say kind of exactly what you're talking about you know oh an exanthic can make a true snow and me being just a turtle guy i was like what do you mean yeah i, I didn't know but yeah so I guess, I mean, what, how would you explain as a snake guy what a snow is? Because I don't understand it completely, but I, I think I kind of know. A snow is an albino mixed with an exanthic. So you take out okay. the melodism and you take out the xanthanin out of the skin and you make an all-white snake. Now there's okay. like leukism, which can make an all-white animal. Or leucism, right. you know. So... 
So I know for a fact we don't have any leucistic red ears. People are waiting on that, and you know, there's you can't combine stuff to make one. We're just waiting on one to randomly hatch at a farm or something. But I have had snake guys say, you know, the exanthic could be a true snow because it would be like an albino with some pattern in it and the eyes would be all red, but they wouldn't be just like a blank red. Like there would be some definition in there. And so I didn't really know what that was about. I'm sorry. Now what the, what the, um, the turtle source had, had labeled as a ghost. Um, wasn't that a leucistic, um, um, line that, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's just like a, a real pale, um, pale green. Um, could, uh, um, ha- have you, have you seen what they call a ghost? I haven't. And I, I don't want to speak ill of anybody. Um, I'll just give my own two cents on stuff like that. And I've learned it from other people as well as seeing the stuff that they put out. And um, the turtle source tends to just kind of name random stuff, whatever they want. And they'll also give a background or like a history of how that turtle came to be or how that particular morph came to be. And a lot of it just is, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I'm not trying to speak anything bad about anybody, but it's just, um, that they'll hatch a random, you know, more hypo or more light colored animal and give it a name and call it a morph. And, you know, could it be, it absolutely could be, but it's, it can be random hatch stuff or it could be stuff where they've just thrown a bunch of stuff, a bunch of genes into a pond and then whatever hatches out, they just try to explain it away. When in reality, it's just a hodgepodge of genes and hets and they're just getting stuff out. And it would take a long time for you to like breed it back and find out what exactly is going on. So I haven't heard of that ghost. Uh, I have, there is an actual morph called ghost uh, produced by Jared down in Florida. He's the albino collection on Instagram. And he mixed a black pearl with a hypomelanistic redyard slider. And those are called ghosts and more people in the turtle community would recognize that as a ghost as opposed to whatever the turtle source is posted as a ghost. Another one I'll have to look up. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a very purpley color. In snakes, ghost is hypo along with something else. So, If it's, if it's a darker morph and they're probably very similar or at least very similar genes. I'm, I'm not sure how they would look though. Interesting. So now uh, I saw on Instagram that you had a female already lay um, and quite a large yeah. clutch for being at her first year. Um, uh, have they banded since the lane? They they have. There is, um, I actually got my first clutch and it was from a caramel and um, I was getting excited. I was getting uh, the medium ready and like mixing the vermiculite, vermiculite and stuff. And uh, as I was getting ready to go uh, pick out those eggs and dig them up, I got a notification from my cameras from my clown nest box and my het got up there and she started digging and to the pond right beside it. And I was like, oh, well, now I've got to wait. And so I'm figuring she's going to get dig a test nest and I just have to wait to get these eggs. But she actually dropped uh, 14 eggs and I went and got my first and second clutch just 
back to back and both ended up being fertile. So I think out of those 14, I have 10 or 11 from my clown clutch that were, that have started to chalk and band. And then I think half of the caramel ones have chalked over, but I I got really, really Um, lucky to have some this early. I, my season never starts this early. Wow. And do you think you'll get then, um, uh, more clutches out of those two females? Um, uh, I would, I hope so. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Oh no, I'm sorry. Go go on. Yeah. I I mean, I, I only have one female that's laying eggs, you know, in the first from, you know, this last year and she laid, you know, three clutches. But yeah, I, I just didn't know if if um, what you guys are seeing in the red ears, if they happen to lay a month early, does that mean she'll lay an extra clutch in the the expanse of the the breeding season, or if she'll finish um, earlier in the year and not lay again? Hey, that's a tough one. It a lot of guys in the South, like Florida and Southern Georgia and stuff like that their season just is longer because their spring and summer begins earlier and their winter comes on later and they kind of get both, you know, their females start earlier and will continue to lay later than guys who are either indoors or are in like my part of the country who have a more normal length season just depends on what time of year. And so for me, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to see. This is my first and likely only season to breed indoors Um, and and so I really don't know what to expect from them. Um, I'm betting I'll have a more regular season, you know, three to five clutches of female and I'll probably be done around May or June, I would say, which is really, that's when mine usually starts. So it's really weird for me, but I'm not going to complain if they just keep going (laughs) all the way to like September or October. That's the latest I've had them is October. So now I, I know that you had moved your operation in after that really weird snowstorm that you guys had, yeah. that deep freeze and snowstorm. Are you going to move them back out, um, you know, when the weather can be counted on? <laughs> I, I'm i planning on it. Yeah, I've made a few adjustments. Um, it's really it's really hard to say exactly what went wrong. Um I'm going to chalk it up to the the setups were brand new. I worked on them all summer and there was no time for troubleshooting. And I think I may have just put everything in too soon. And the issue I know that was caused by me was my ramps weren't deep enough. And me and a few guys that I've spoken to have kind of agreed that they may have exerted themselves or overexerted themselves trying to get to the top and bask on still cold days, but slightly warmer days and, you know, could have fainted or drowned or even some, I've heard some people say it can cause a heart attack because the, the heart rate's so low and it, it could have been any of those things, but it very well could be what you said. We had a freak weather system come through and in, you know, I'm only 25, but I've never seen it. I've never seen weather like that in this part of the country. And I mean, it plummeted and then it shot right back up and it was, it was really weird and it did not do well for the turtles that I had outdoors, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a big chicken as far as brumation uh, goes. I've, uh, I don't have a pond deep enough to, to brumate anything out there. 
and oh, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I've never outdoor brumated any turtle and I'm 66 or I will be in May. And I just, um, you know, some of the, the people that I follow over in Europe, you know, they, you know, the, I know one person just showed this gorgeous, um, high color Southern painted that they lost in the winter due to broom, you know, through the brumation. And I'm like, I'm just too much of a chicken <laughs> to, to do that. You know, I, I've never even it's put them scary. in the fridge. Yeah. I, yeah. No, it's terrifying. And I mean, it, I think it, it's hard to not be afraid to do it every year. Every time it gets cold, every last turtle I own is in the back of my head. I'm like, you think this one's okay? I wonder how this one's doing. And the worst part is you have to leave them alone. You can't go in and check on them. You can't mess with them because that can disrupt it and be just as bad as if you're ill-prepared or you don't have a good enough uh, setup, like it's not deep enough or there's no air in there. So, you know, it's just hands off, cross your fingers and pray. And for me, five, six months, and you never see them. And then one day, boom, there they are. And then it's just this huge sigh of relief, like weight off your shoulders. Because, like, you think yeah. at, at the same time, in the back of your head, you're like, oh, they'll be fine. But simultaneously, you're like, but will they be fine? I <laughs> I hope so. And you, most of the time they are. This is the only time I've uh, lost any in brumation, and it was like a domino effect. Like, one day was bad. I lost one or two. And then the next few days, I lost, I, I think, 11. It Oof. just it got really, really bad. And so I was like, something's wrong. Something's up. And so I pulled them all indoors. Um, luckily it was after that weather system came through, my water temperature was like upper forties or really low fifties. And the air temperature in my basement was about 52. And so I pulled the trigger right then, drained the ponds and put them in my garage and dry docked them at about 50, 52 degrees for two or three days to keep them at that temperature. And then I put in room temperature water, and I warmed them up really slowly over about a month. And then um, I think that's the reason that mine are actually breeding and going about their life as usual because they had a slower month-long warm-up. But it was it was really stressful. I had no intention to bring them in. So I just threw a bunch of stuff together, and I was like, okay, let's hope that works. <laughs> wow. Well, it, it makes me think that, you know, if – someone's really wanting to do a, a big breeding operation is what if we do just a, a shorter brumation and then, you know, bring them up earlier in the spring. So I'll get, you know, four or five clutches per female instead of three by just, yeah. instead of doing it all natural outdoors, you do a, a brief brumation and then, um, you know, instead of a three to four month, you know, a one month <coughs> and, then, and then the, see how many clutches I would assume though you'd have to really be feeding them a lot of really high quality foods and extra calcium so they could build all the eggs properly yeah definitely I um actually I was talking with uh Mike Ipanovich or Ipanovich the other day and he was singing praises about adding cuddle bone uh to your female or to your breeding setups uh because the calcium that they make the eggs out of they'll pull from their bones especially if they're like uh, lacking in calcium, that extra calcium they pull from their own bones, their own bodies. And that, you know, they, that cannot be good. Obviously that can't be good. Yeah. So with the females laying, it's really tricky because 
red ears have a quick turnaround when they lay to when they lay again. You have about 10 to 14 days, give or take, depending on the turtle, and they'll drop a clutch, and then about 10 days later, they could drop another, or they could at least be gravid again. And so roughly two weeks, and once you can feel eggs in there, if you palpate them, um, they're really not going to eat much after that. And I couldn't tell you why that is. I just know that that's the way that it is. And that's kind of my first sign is if a big female who's got a lot of weight on her, like she's big and stocky, just isn't interested in food and she's being shy or something, typically that female has eggs in her. And so the the week to eight days you have from when they drop that clutch to when they're making their next batch of eggs, you've got to feed them as much as you can feed them. And you've got to feed them extra calcium, vitamins, just the, the best stuff you can give them um, in that really short window because, I mean, their body is in go mode. Like, they are, it's in overdrive. And then the last week or so that they're gravid with eggs, they, they're not going to eat. I think they're just uncomfortable and they pace a lot and they just, are, they just don't want to mess with any of it. So, and they do that time and time again, like through three or four clutches, they'll – They'll just not yeah. really catch up on eating during that time. Yeah. Wow. You, you just have to make sure you really give them every opportunity to eat and get what they need about a, that week after they lay. And then any extra days after that seven day mark is just a bonus. But at some point they'll go off of food just because that's, that's what they do. They go off food and then they become really restless and then they'll lay those eggs. But the, the going off of food to the point when they lay eggs can be it can be two days can be really fast or it can be a whole week where they they don't want to eat and they're just constantly pacing trying to get out of the enclosure until finally it kind of clicks and they're like get these out of me and they'll just they'll just do it they lay them and then they're right back to normal for for a week and then they do it again wow. and for two weeks about so you probably do want to cycle them and don't not run them all the time because that that would not be good. <clears throat> yeah, definitely for a female. And yeah, the the females you you really have to cycle them if you want to have any kind of a schedule or a season. Um, and it also does wonders for fertility. If you don't cycle them, some people will swear by their oh no, no you don't have to do that. You can keep them normal, feed them all year, and like animals will be animals. They'll breed. They'll do what they're designed to do. Um, but you'd be hard pressed to find an actual turtle breeder who doesn't put his turtles through a winter, um, whether it's artificial or natural, it's, it's arguably the most important step in producing turtles is cycling them through a winter. And the, the ones who, um, live down in Florida, they have a very short, short rumation, I assume. They... Yeah, they do. And it's almost not even a true brumation. Like their turtles just know the season more so based off a slight temperature drop and the photo period. So the days are short and they know the time of the year. And then as as the days get longer and a little warmer, they'll start to breed and they'll start to wake up more. Um, But down in Florida, late February, early March, for outdoor breeders is typically when they'll start seeing eggs. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, usually it's about late March, early April 
the the wild paintings will emerge, and then we'll see them dance. But they usually don't nest um, until I don't know late June, starting in July, um, mostly yeah. in July. So from April through July, they are gorging themselves on whatever they can, um, and you know because their brumation is so long, I think yeah. they they have to they have to do that gorging for so long in order to be able to really properly form those eggs. And that's yeah, about what I, everything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about what I saw in the, the one female that I have that is, um, old enough to, to lay. She didn't lay until July and she was gorging herself. And, and then all of a sudden she just quit and started pacing. So I palpated her and sure enough, she, she finally had a clutch. So yep. that, my 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 vet was surprised that she had, you know, as small as she is, that she had three clutches of five. Oh no, um, five and then four, then five. And uh, they said, "Boy, for a first year, she <laughs> is quite prolific." <laughs> but oh yeah, um, painted turtles are incredible. I mean, you see them and you think, "There's no way that this is like a sexually mature adult. Like, how is this going to give me eggs?" And they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they yeah. can fit in your hand. And I'm a readier guy, so every every now and then I have just a monster of a female. And that's what I think <laughs> of when I think of a big adult. Whereas a painted turtle, if you have like a six and a half inch adult, seven inch, that's a big adult female. <laughs> and it's just, it's crazy to me. But yeah. Now, when you told me she was, what, six inches right around? Yeah. I yeah. was like, yeah, that's that's kind of the benchmark. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, where I had um, uh, released um, some of the baby turtles, well, actually, uh, it was two big, two uh, about eight-inch females, and then uh, several um, juveniles. Um, I removed them from the drying pond and into what I what we call red pond, about a mile away. It's it's in this red bay soil, and as I was approaching, um, either somebody let go um, a uh, a red-bellied um, slider or a, a northern red belly in that pond, mm-hmm. or there's a record painted turtle in that pond because I stopped and I just stared at her. I'm like, oh my God, she's had to be at least 12, 13 inches, you know, um, in, in carapace length and I, or in shell length. And I just, I, I, I was just stunned. It's like, okay, that can't be a painted turtle. You know, I mean, it's like double the size of any painted turtle I've ever seen. And then know. she, you can see and then she slid into the, yeah, then she slid into the water and I go, okay, I've got to come back with the turtle trap and, and see if, <laughs> if that was somebody's red belly that they let go or, you know, if it, if it indeed is a, you know, so then I looked it up. What is the largest painted turtle ever measured? And it was up in, um, uh, Canada and it was just 10 inches, almost 11 inches, like 10 and, uh, 15, 16th inches, um, and then and, and it's, uh, they measured it in um, uh, centimeters. But I thought, uh, yeah, that that one, it, it topped the cake. <laughs> I, I got to go back and like see if I can catch it. Yeah. But, <laughs> that'd so. be cool. Yeah, that'd be super cool. Yeah. And that's, hum- that, that's huge, like, even pack. for a slider. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I was just—it gave me chills just seeing it. That, that that turtle should not be there. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean the the pond has been there. You know, I've never seen that pond dry up, and 
So, you know, who knows? And uh, there, there's several ponds and lakes and creeks and, and, you know, throughout that park. And, you know, and painted turtles migrate uh, a lot. And uh, some of the ones that we rescued, um, they obviously had been um, moving themselves from one drying pond to the next. And their bellies were so um, faded and worn that they, they looked like they had um, eastern painted bellies because they were just... Um, a, a manila, you know, vanilla colored. Um, uh, just from just being a, like worn down from walking such a distance. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And some of them had had uh, how they got, a, you know, they had predator dews and claw marks and teeth marks and like, you know, how they got away from the predator that caught them is amazing, but they did. And two of them showed, um, you know, quite, you know, that they had already healed from maybe an attack that happened few years ago but it was it's really amazing to be a part of rescuing and, and censusing and just looking to see what these turtles are going through but yeah yeah i think that's one of the super cool parts about you peggy is that you're out there actually being a conservation biologist where you know i'm more of the pet trade and he's more of the pet trade and everyone else we've had on is more of the pet trade so Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, I've Speaking. learned. No, I've learned more about just like the natural behavior of what's going on just from texting Peggy about it. She'll just tell me about her day, and I'll learn something. <laughs> that's like I had no idea that that was a thing. <laughs> this is why we pay her the big bucks. <laughs> yeah, really? Uh, what bank account is it going into? <laughs> the big bucks one. Don't worry. Yeah, the check's on its way. It's in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'll be there sometime. Uh, so, Patrick, how many um, uh, turtles do you sell each year? That I don't know. That kind of depends because I'm definitely newer to the like the breeding and the selling aspect of things. But I I I buy and sell a lot of turtles. Um, kind of to fund everything like my turtles eat based on how many I can buy wholesale and, and then resell for retail. And then oh. this year hopefully will be my first year that I don't have to buy any or hardly any and can supply all of them myself. Um, but it's hard to put a price tag on that just cause I don't have like a set, like I always get this many and sell them for this or I hatch these and sell them for this. It, it just kind of comes and goes. I, I just look for deals that, I know can pay for a new setup or, you know, it's like, Oh, that's three bags of food. I guarantee it. And then I'll buy them up and sell them and turn it back into something to use. So okay. it, it's hard to, it's hard to put a number on that. Cause I honestly have no idea. Mm -hmm. And okay. so where do you mostly sell at, at shows or people just contacting you through the internet? The internet for sure. Um, people contact me on Facebook, Instagram, uh, some people have my phone number just from like people that I've sold to in the past and they'll give it to someone else. Um, but a, a lot of the, a lot of the sales that I make are just random texts like, Hey, are you so-and-so, you know, I heard that you had some of these and I'm looking for, you know, this more for someone that can put me in touch with this. And, you know, we'll just start talking and go from there. And I mean, every now I do post on places like, uh, the fauna classifieds or, or king snake, and I'll post on Facebook occasionally, but a lot of it is people who just come to you already knowing what they want. 
Okay. Do you do a lot of exporting? No, I haven't. I I want to work towards that. I've started making a few friends over in Asia and stuff, and we kind of bounce ideas back and forth off each other. And I, I want to work towards being able to export and import. There's a lot. The list of stuff that I would like to import from those guys, you could fill a novel with it. It's everything. <laughs> but, um, you know, I haven't had the chance to export yet. Uh, I've had several people ask, but most of the time they'll be like, oh, you know, what's the price on this singular turtle? And I'll, I'll give it to them. And they're like, how much to ship to, you know, Indonesia, Hong Kong, wh wherever they are. And I, when they ask something like that, nine times out of 10, or really 10 times out of 10, they don't know the process of like going through like an export um, or someone with an export permit and the cost it is to really import and export animals. And so I haven't had anything like that actually go through. I just have a lot of people that are like, well, just put it, just send it to me. And I'm like, no, it's not, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, yeah. I, I've had so many people contacting me wanting to buy that clown, and and oh, uh, sure, <laughs> you know, and that I mean that was I was just I put it out there like you know what do I have here? I mean I've seen red ear slider clowns, but, and uh, you know the, at the time they were called hyper or hypo pastel red ear sliders, mm -hmm. and now it's it's mostly. Um, that is now called clown, and and uh, so I, I I knew it had to be some you know it was a hypo pastel or hypo melanistic of some sort. Um, yeah. And you know and then you know and the same way with its uh, siblings who never made it out of the egg, um, but it's uh, you know I put it out there and I said okay you know what do I have here and all of a sudden my computer blew up <laughs> you know with everybody well, you know. Uh, I mean, the painted morphs are, they're very new. The only one that has been around for any time is the albino southern paints. And they're still very expensive uh, by just about anybody's standards. And something, especially when you found those back in 2018, 19? 19, yeah. Yeah, like clown and pastel painted turtles, you just didn't see them. There were a handful kind of floating around uh there's for whatever reason we have a decent amount of the eastern painted clowns here in the u.s but over in asia there's a handful of guys that have hatched these clowns westerns and easterns but they're not as well known or distributed or whatever it might be so whenever that one kind of became public and kind of became known and it looked so much different than the easterns or your typical you know, what we call farm pastels of other species, it really caught traction and people really, really wanted it. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's definitely how we got in contact. I messaged you about it to see if mm -hmm. you still had it. And you told me right off the bat, you're like, I have it, but I'm not going to sell it. Don't even ask. I, was like, <laughs> I wouldn't either. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, my, my curiosity and, and, you know, some of my favorite courses in my, uh, getting my two degrees was, uh, ge the genetic courses. And, it was, um, you know, I always called them my my easy A uh, courses because it, it just, you know, I loved, you know, you know, gene recombination and and uh, and so now, you know, it's, um, you know, we had the geneticist on, you know, uh, it was about three or four weeks ago, 
I can't remember what, but it's, it's a lot um, longer than that, pigs. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know, and, boy, you know, just learning so much from him as far as the postulations about what's happening with these clowns and and why a lot of them, uh, especially in the painted realm, why they're not proving genetically um, sometimes. Uh, well, I I haven't really even heard of a genetic clown line in painted turtles yet. Have you, Patrick? No, I I uh, I don't think there is one. I know that Mike is at least the closest uh, because he has that he has a clown Eastern painted that ended up being a male, and that male ended up being a fertile male, and he's made several pets with it, and uh, I he hasn't been able to prove them out yet. But I think that's more of a timing thing, not it um, like didn't prove out. It's still a younger project, and he's getting closer. But it it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's the only one that has successfully bred um, a clown painted turtle. Just because of a bunch of factors, but mostly the rarity of them and for them to find a home with someone with, that has the knowledge and the ability to actually uh, have a good shot at breeding it. Mm-hmm. Now, it I, I breeding turtles is not easy. Yeah. Um, I haven't checked yeah. back with him for quite a while to find out if he is also breeding that clown male painted to clown female Eastern paintings. Um, uh, no, I don't think he has. Uh, I, I think he just selected some very nice um, wild phenotype females just because why not give the babies the best chance at just looking good as normals anyways. So I, I think they were just bred to, uh, or the male was just bred to hand-picked adult Easterns that were just normals. Um, okay. But that's because there is no, no, there there's one morph of Eastern painted that's like a proven line. And it's a, uh, it's a T-positive albino. Yeah. But they're ridiculously expensive. So it's really hard to get your hand yeah, on them. I- yeah, I've seen those on Morph Market. Yeah. Yeah, I was so, offered a group of 20 or 25 adults for $1.5 And I was like, I'll think whoa. about it. But I, yeah, I was like, <laughs> let, me, let, let me run the numbers on that right quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> the turtle market is really reminiscent to me of like, the older ball python market like back in the early 2000s like it's uh it's all new it's all fresh everyone's trying to be the first to produce and yada 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 and so it seems oh, like yeah. it's like that i don't it doesn't seem as competitive as ball pythons were back in the day no i mean you guys are sharing we'll a lot that. more information than the ball python people shared at the beginning i yeah i've heard a lot about like the similarities between the two, except that one, because I talk to different breeders all day, every day, questions, we bounce stuff off each other. Um, and apparently that is not the case with ball pythons when they were early on. No one yeah, told anyone anything. Yeah. No, the the no, turtle no. market, we're trying to bring more people into it because the turtles are just such a cool animal to keep in general. They... I mean, they're water puppies, but you yeah. can also add in like, 
you know, kind of like the snake hobby where you can have all these genes and you have uh, all these combos and you can do those same things, which is a totally different type of animal. And it, but it's newer, and so there's less people in it. And so I think, I think it's kind of a, un, like an unspoken idea that we all have to, you know, make it better and bring people into it. You know, the morphs, we want to make new morphs. And if you spent your time on it, you want to get your money back out of it. But you also want to make sure that it gets out there. Other hobbyists buy it. People can enjoy it. And we're trying to find that kind of medium ground where, like, guys who it's their livelihood still have to do that. But also they can make it where people can enjoy what they spent all this time on and all this effort to create. And the one thing that I think is going to help out with the turtle market is, um, you know, Aquas, uh, Aquascape Inc. You know, they're making all those mm-hmm. really fancy ponds for a lot of high-end properties and zoos. And and even, um, you know, they can show that uh, some of us who can afford a, a small pond, you know, can mm-hmm. stock it not just with fish, but with, you know, um, why not put a yellow turtle in there, you know, you know, in with some goldfish, you know, um, yeah. you know, so you, you're creating, um, um, uh, you know, very unique individuals for people who have the money. I mean, they, they're putting in a $60,000 pond system, you know, why not, you know, sell, sell to them, you know, some, you know, really, you know, some high dollar and absolutely phenomenal colored turtles that, you know, you're not just going to see a, a bright gold fish in that pond, but a, a bright lemon yellow turtle in that pond, you know. Right. It, it complements it. it. It fits into that koi pond kind of an aesthetic and a vibe. Yeah, especially the red ear sliders because they, you know, like you said, you know, they get a good size. You know, you can't miss yeah. a bright yellow <laughs> a red ear slider in a in a pond like oh, that. Yeah. So I think that's going to be the uh, a real expanding market for, you know, you there and um, you know, and I mean, because boy, I, I just see more and more people wanting to put in those landscape ponds and then they want, I mean, my gosh, the, the money that they spend on koi, it's like, wow. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. I, I, koi are incredibly expensive. Yeah. And so, you know, why not sell some really, really unique, large, colorful turtles, you know? Um, and I know when I kept, um, you know, when I, I put the turtles out in, in the summer, um, they they can't catch the fish um, that are healthy. And matter of fact, yeah. some of the fish, you know, could really, you know, they'll ram the turtles, like, just leave me alone. The turtles just like, you know, they, they learn to swim away from <laughs> healthy fish. Oh, yeah. They do that thing. They kind of turn like that. It's like, no, 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 no. I don't want it. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's funny so, you bring that up. I, I've had local guys really recently who are building ponds or buying homes that already had a pond. And it's, it's like a simple koi pond, but I mean, word has gotten around in like my hometown that I'm breeding these turtles and no one knows anything about it, but they're like, they're, they're turtles, but they don't look normal. And that's what people say to me. They're like, so you breed weird looking turtles? And I'm like, "Mm, kinda, yeah. And, um, but I've had guys reach out and they're like, well, I'm putting, koi in there and I have like dwarf like albino catfish and I just have these prettier fish and I think a turtle should be in the pond 
but I don't want a normal bland turtle. Do you have anything for that? I'm like, yeah, that's that's exactly what I have. It's, I mean, it's either for people who want to get into the hobby for breeding and combos and things, or for people who just want to put it out there and enjoy a turtle that's more unique than if you went to your state park where you're driving down the road and you see some up on a log. It's just, it's just a different look to it. And it can add to the experience of having your own pond is you have your own, you know, you can customize it that much more is pick your color of turtle and put it in, you know, well, and, it, and it's like those, that. Yeah. And then those turtles, I mean, they're, they can entertain, you know, the homeowner and their guests because when they get used to being oh, yeah. fed, especially by the hand, they'll come up out of the water to grab food from you and then go back into the water. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're highly entertaining and, you know, oh, you, absolutely. Um, you, you just have to tell your guests not to, you know, dangle your bare toes in the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they'll get you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just see that, that market really launching, you know, for, you know, you, you know, the, the fancy, Red ear slider, um, you know, because that market of I mean, I'm Matthew. He's he used to work in um, uh, a landscape company and has put in a few ponds. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm hoping to get this commission of uh, creating another large outdoor bronze uh, bison. And I told Matthew I'm 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 hauling him over to our place to to put in help me put in a pond. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, and so uh, big painted turtle clown pond. <laughs> Heck yeah. yeah. Give it a few years and it'll just be like little comets swimming around in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I was talking to, um, there's you know, like Ed, uh, the pond professor of aquascapes, you know, um, asking him some questions, uh, messaging through um, Instagram. And I said, mm -hmm. you know, how can I do a, a pond that won't freeze up here in, <laughs> in South Dakota? Um, you know, and so, you know, he's basically told me that you have to have like a, a, a below ground, um, you know, almost like a, um, a, a cistern like filter system that they call the wetland filter system. And so that's yeah. below freezing. And then you're circulating your water into that heat well, and then you keep the water moving and, and should be able to have a pond open year round. And then I also thought like, well, what if we have a frame that's kind of like a greenhouse we can put over it when the wind is 90 below wind chill factor, <laughs> at least we can protect the pond <laughs> from that wind chill factor. <laughs> and, and then the You're not protecting yourself from that wind chill, <laughs> 90 below. Oh, oh yeah. Goodness. Yeah. It, um, you know, the, the air, the air, the standing air temp may be, you know, 30 to 40 below zero. And then you add in 50, 60 mile an hour winds and, you know, it's absolutely dangerous. You know, it's, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, yeah, you'll find that's... me not wanting to go outside when it's 30 degrees. I don't know what y'all are doing. Yeah, no, me too. Me too. You said it's 70 there earlier in, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was in like the high 70s today. I'm about to leave here. <laughs> <laughs> Never to return. Yeah. yeah. I need like, I'm like a snake. I need a heat pad. I need 80, <laughs> 85, 90. 90 is uh, fine. Like, people around here complain about 90 degrees. No, no, it's fine. Oh, yeah. Well, I, 
I can tell I'm of the Nordic type because when I lived in two, uh, Southern California for two years, but I've lived up in the mountains, so it was a lot like here. Um, so four seasons, but the, the winters were mild, you know, Wrightwood, California. And then moved to Tucson, and it was so hot there. I lost my appetite. Um, the, the foundry, the bronze casting foundry where I worked, they said, okay, you're getting way too skinny. We need, you need, you need to go back up North or do something to get your appetite back. So I had friends who owned an, a Canadian Island. So I, I flew up to their Canadian Island and stayed there for three uh, weeks, gaining the five pounds each week. I got my appetite back and I'm like, this Northerner can't live in the desert. You know, I just, and so, so I, I gained 15 pounds and then I went back to the foundry and go, okay, now you're healthy enough to work here again. <laughs> and, and, but I, I literally had to move back up north because I kept getting, you know, practically anorexic. It was just so hot. I, I could not eat. And so, um, but, you know, back down there, you could have desert tortoises. <laughs> I missed having the desert tortoises. That was the, the bad part about leaving Tucson. <laughs> but I can, I can sympathize with that. I wish I could keep all kinds of tortoises here, but it's just not. The summers and the springs fine, but our winter is it's not terrible, but it's too much for tortoises. Those desert tortoises are so, fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What elevation do you live at, at uh, Patrick? Oh, I have no idea. I couldn't even tell you. No. But you do have um, you do have snow regularly um, in the in the winter. Uh, it's not like I wouldn't say regularly, but. You know, it, it'll happen between two and five times a year, maybe. But oh, we, we don't usually get a lot of snow. So, we Matthew get, and I will be joining ice. you in Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. Y'all so, come on now. <laughs> so, you're you're keeping outside then. Uh, how, what is your setup outside? How many setups do you have? And, so, I built yeah. 10. Uh, I built 10. And I got really lucky, and I found these double-walled, insulated um, containers. I don't even know what they're – I think they're for shipping food, but they're like 4 by 4s or 4 by 3 or something. But they're about 200 gallons or almost 200. Um, they're insulated, and they had pre-marked little, uh, like, semicircles that were kind of risen, and it was to drill a drain so that you could ship liquids in it. And it has um, the tanks are a lot taller off the ground than they actually are deep. They have legs on them. And so if you wanted to drill straight down to the bottom and have like a, a drain that went just all the way down, you could do that. Or, you know, I run cords under mine or, you know, lay pipe through them and things like that. But I got really lucky and I found someone who had like 30 of them. And I bought 10 because it's about what I needed. And I wish I'd bought all 30 of them. Uh, and then I went and I just built uh, like a huge 16 or 17 foot long, basically a bench with a back on it. And then I put dividers every four feet or however wide they are. And um, th then it was just, I filled it with topsoil. And so those are kind of the setups that I have. And it runs on a overflow system. So there's an auto purge and it goes goes off twice a week. And it purges most of that old water and the ammonia that settles at the top up and out the back and it the idea was to cut down on maintenance for me and kind of have a big scale but in a small enough area 
And that's, it was working well until this winter when the ramps failed me, but everything else actually was working really well. So I was one, one step off, but that's what all my adults live in. Even now I, I took those same tanks uh, into my basement and basically built the same thing, but just indoors. And then okay. I had to connect all the plumbing. Because outdoors is not connected. I just let it all spill into the ground. I don't care about it. I laid uh, like a big rock pad so it drains really well. But I I felt like letting hundreds of gallons drain under the basement floor would not be as convenient. So <laughs> I did plumb it all together when it came inside. <laughs> wow. That's, that had to be – how many days did it take you to move the whole operation from outside to inside? From start to finish, like moving it into having it up running, I had to build a sump, um, order a bunch of stuff from Amazon, um, had to put in a order at like a nursery to get the right kind of topsoil delivered, probably 16, 17 days. I'm just oh. constantly like building a new system because I mean, you had to work quick and I had to be adding water, but I couldn't add too much water cause I, they were waking up. So I wanted them to be where they could submerge, but I didn't want them to exhaust themselves swimming up and down. So I never had it deeper than what they could like stand on their back legs and get a breath. So I feel like it may have stressed them out a little, but I left them in a separate room, kept it dark, kept it cool, and I didn't warm them up for maybe a week or two. And then I brought them into a separate part of the basement. It's divided into three sections. And I slowly brought the air temperature up, and it would warm the water really, really slowly. And then after about a week of having the system running, I added the heaters. But it was, it was a little over two weeks of constantly just throwing it together. You know, I, I wrote it down on a napkin or a, a post-it note, and I just drew it out in my head and was like, okay, let's just go with it, and started putting it together like a puzzle. And then as the problems came, because I, I didn't have time to sit down and plan how am I going to have a indoor system. You know, I had every day was like, I've got to tackle this and this and this and come into problems that I never anticipated because I never planned to keep them indoors. So it was it was a fun, it was a fun two weeks of just throwing <laughs> stuff together. And, how and you're going to move all of, you're going to move all of that indoors, outdoors then. Yep. I, wow. I put it all together and I am taking it all apart. As soon as my, as soon as the females slow down or seem like it's pretty much over for them for that season, I'll just move it all back outside. But for now it's working. Um, I'm not having issues with aggression or with space. Uh, the sump seems to be working and the females are breeding. I, I have two clutches and they're, and they're fertile. So I'm just going to leave it be until that season's over. And then we'll put it outside, make sure all those final adjustments have been tweaked. And then we'll try it again for the whole outdoor setup. And what are you using for the, your um, UVB, UVA lamps? Just your regular um, 100 and I want to say they're 160 watt. It might be a little less, but I, I think it's like 150, 160 watt um, mercury vapor bulbs. So it's kind of the all-in-one UVA, UVB, and heat. 
And um, I actually, I uh, I tied duck hunting like decoy string because it's it's a little bit springy, but it's really tough. I uh, I tied the lamps to that, and then I would take a two inch screw and screw it about halfway into a two by four that runs across the nest boxes, and that's what I hung the lights from. And so I I made the links. Um, however long I had to make it to get it the right height above the basking spot. And then I twirled it up. And so while the water was cool, their lamps were a lot higher and I only had their basking temperatures at about, you know, 70 to 75, something like that. And I would let it sit for about uh, four or five days. And then I would undo it one little turn and it'd get a little lower. And so every few days it got warmer and about every week and a half, I would change the timer setting on the lights. So the photo period would grow. And so it would go, it would grow, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And then throughout that week, it would get warmer. And then the next week it would be a little bit longer. And so now their lights come on at about 6:45 or seven and go off at about eight 30. So they went through the water slowly warmed, the basking spot slowly warmed, the days slowly got longer. Uh, I even, last week, I even uh, started the lights coming on sooner. They were coming on at 7.15, now they come on at 6.45. So they're in full summer mode. And I, did, I tried to mimic the, the whole thing like as best as I could and warm the water, the basking temperature, the lights, everything consistently and slowly. And I, I think it worked because yeah, the, the males, yeah, the males tend to breed. Some people will tell you in the winter and some people will tell you during the warm up. And when you're outdoors, you have a month, month and a half of those kind of in between like 65 to 70 degree temperatures where the males really have plenty of time to get all their breeding done. And then it, all summer females would just lay fertile eggs from those pairings. And I just didn't have that luxury. I couldn't do that because this, the space that I moved them into is where all my grow outs are. So the air temperature is really warm in there. And so I couldn't, I couldn't bring them from 55 to 80 over a month. I brought them from 55 to, I don't know, like 65, 67 over like two or three days. And so we skipped a big chunk right there. And then I had to start at almost 70. So we were really skeptical if they were going to have enough time to, to breed these females. But, you know, it's really early. I was just lucky to get two good clutches. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, honestly, it was a Hail Mary just of <laughs> throwing it together and like, you know, there's, there was no time to like research and call around and see what's going to happen. It's like, I've, I had to make every decision just as we went. So we'll, yeah, well, we'll sounds see how like it goes. It sounds like you followed, you know, um, really, um, wanting to do things as natural as possible in, in a, a, a fly by the seat of your pants, having to do it way. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. yeah kudos. <laughs> and, well, thank you. I Mr. appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just sitting here like, wow, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to to do all that and 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 to and to get it in there and yet to still incorporate some, you know, gradual changes to 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 that. Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah, 
Yeah, that was that was the big thing to focus on was I wanted I you know, it was so abrupt. It was in it was the first day of January is when I started bringing everything in. And, you know, it was it was a weirdly warm day, but for the most part, still very cold, uh, especially for turtles. And um, that was my main focus was like, I need to get it functional. It needs to work, but I, I cannot rush the war- the the warming up process. A lot of people have said to me that the uh, the brumation is not what gets you; it's the warm up. They have a lot of trouble waking up. It's kind of like what I said back towards the beginning. You know, they can overexert themselves by they wake up and just kind of shoot for the surface, and they can faint or have heart attacks, or their muscles are just not really there, and they spend too much energy, and they can drown, or, or you know, any a whole number of things can go wrong. But typically, they do something to cause drowning, and um, so I was like, you know, I can't, I can't allow that to happen. I have to be very, very careful because if they're outside and you just check on something, and you know, God forbid, you find one floating, it's terrible. But you don't know what happened. You know, it's outside. The water's not crystal clean. It's not, you know, being filtered, and something goes wrong. That's all you know. Something went wrong. You know, you can try to learn from it, but you don't know the details. When I brought them inside, I was like, you know, I can't let anything go wrong because now that's 100% on me as a keeper and a breeder. You know, every decision I make will directly affect these things, and, I, and I'll be able to see it. So if I just filled the tanks all the way up and was like, okay, wake up, I would have no breeders. You know, we had to go very, very slow and be very, very careful. I'm, I'm very yeah, interested. See, I know, I know. With snakes, like uh, they talk, we talk about like cold weather fronts and having storms, and that's very important. So I wonder if having such a bad storm, where unfortunately you lost turtles, if you're going to have mm-hmm. a very prolific year because of because of the weather, essentially. I know, I, like I with snake no breeding, it, they, it's it's kind of like you need storms. Or so they've anecdotally said, like the storms trigger the breeding. So, like people in Pennsylvania this year are complaining because they haven't gotten any snow. So, and they, so and, and they're not seeing as much breeding. Yeah, and they're not seeing as much breeding activity as people here or on the West Coast, yeah. where they had all those storms, all the all the big rain. So I wonder if that big freeze. Like, I wonder if uh, it's an unfortunate situation, but I wonder if it'll help you be more prolific because it was a traumatic event. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, mean, I would be, I would welcome that, you know, yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> but like, if it, if it triggers all of them to have really good seasons, that'd be amazing. I've never heard of that correlation between yeah. snake breeding and storms. Yeah. Especially yeah, since, no. I mean, snake breeding, that's an indoor game. Like, there's no yep. outdoor snake breeders. But there's barometric pressure changes and and yeah. that sort of and thing. O- and, and then, like, changes. yeah. And then naturally, like, if you think about it, in the wilds, all animals are going to come out more when it rains. You know, if you go into the desert of Arizona, there's nothing, and then it rains, and the desert just comes to life. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. That barometric pressure change has got to be a trigger that we're not able to measure. There's there's other mm-hmm. triggers too that we can't measure, but that's one that 
that we think, or at least all the podcast people I listen to kind of think is correlated. Because if yeah, they have a good... they can see a difference, or it seems to make a difference. Yeah, even on, like, East Coast, West Coast. Like, the East Coast will have a mild winter. West Coast will have a terrible winter. West Coast will have a ton of snakes one year. East Coast will get nothing, or hardly anything. That's so... really interesting. So now, when, when, when is this... Um, are, are the... How do you say You know, as a biologist, I'm thinking... I can picture like this, the spring storms really, you know, with the, the massive amount of ozone that you can smell in the air and the, mm-hmm. and the rapid barometric pressure changes. And, and then the, the day night cycle is getting longer. I could see that that those spring storms really triggering it. Are, are you saying that the snake people are seeing um, winter storms um, causing? Yeah. And species that don't have a winter. Like in more northerly ah. species, there's still storms. There's a wet season and a dry season, but it's wet in the wintertime and then the snow dumps and that's the barometric pressure change they're going off of, even though they're more equatorial, right? Because right. it's still the storm. It's still that pressure change, you know, and they're there's monsoon. food cycling, there's light cycling. There's a whole bunch of other cycles we could go into, but the one we yeah. can't control is the one that interests me. That weather, <laughs> that barometric pressure. When you think about it, that could really explain away a lot of good and bad seasons. You know, for someone who know, like if they'd been in the game, they know they did everything right, they checked all the bases, and then just for some reason, they just had a bad year. That could really explain stuff like that because you, as much as you can try, that's something that you have absolutely no control over. Right. And it's not that you're not going to produce anything. Just you're not yeah. going to have as good of a year, right? Because I, I think even the turtles in brumation, probably in the wintertime, they still feel that change when a storm mm-hmm. comes in. You know, they're still feeling that. So I wonder if those, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's all anecdotal. So. Uh, and then well, what, I mean, what I learned, in, uh, go ahead, Patrick. I was, I'll let you know in a few months. We'll see. Yeah, I'm I'm interested yeah. to find out because like yeah yeah well, that'll be interesting. Well, in the in working with the nutritional biochemist for 14 years, the one thing that we noticed, and she was primarily um, uh, a, a real go-to in the equine world. Um, some of her clients were the top racehorse breeders in the world, and they would notice um, that uh, in horse feeds. They basically buy according to um, commodity price. You know, in some of the mixes you'll have more barley, and some of the mixes you'll have more soy. It just depends on what the the farm commodities are doing. Well, they found that in the high soy mix years, the stallions' fertility went down, and so and when they're charging, you know, like a million or two per stud fee, you know. Um, of course, she, she would get the phone call and then and and immediately she'd ask them, you know, well, what are you feeding? And and then she would look up that particular brand to see if they do that oscillation of the the grain sources. And so um, I'm just wondering, you know, um, you know, in, in the turtle pellets, if they're doing the same thing. And so all of a sudden you're doing everything right. But did they increase? 
um, did they cut back on the wheat and the barley or the, the wheat and the corn and put in more soy? And they don't have to, in, in animal feeds, they don't have to list the ingredients according to what is most in the formula. Um, and so, like, maybe they put more soy in than the corn and the wheat, and now you have a drop in the male fertility. And so your eggs, you're going to have a, a clutch where not all the eggs are fertile. Is uh, I'm wondering if maybe that's going on that the the, the turtle breeders are doing. Um, when, when you're, um, Patrick, since you network a lot with a lot of the turtle breeders, uh, are you seeing a correlation that a, a lot of you are having a, a bad year? Is it regional? Is it, um, or is it very individual according to the breeder? Or is it East Coast, uh, West Coast, like the snake people? I would say it's very individual. It, it can really vary a lot. And something I think that gets the most, like, I don't want to say blame, but, like, if you have a bad year, most of the time people will be like, oh, it's a young it's a young male. Uh, he, You know, he's not very fertile yet, or it can be a young female. She's probably not very receptive. And more than anything, it gets blamed on the age of the turtles. Um, it, as long as you didn't have a hiccup like I did, where everything else went normal, there'll be a flaw with that animal. You know, it's like, oh, he's young. This is only his second or third season. Or she's young. Maybe she's just not ready. But you and I, we talked about at length the use of soy in pretty much all the major turtle foods and, and, and pellet brands. And I mean, I think it makes complete sense. And the disadvantage that we have is that a 25, 30 pound bag of Missouri, which is the staple, is $69, $70 shipped to your door. Whereas you found, um, wh what is that new food that you've been using that you said you saw like significant uh, growth? Yeah, the um, what I start them out on is a, um, a discus food, really mm -hmm. tiny little pellets that the um, the fresh, absolutely fresh hatchlings um, will eat um, before they even absorb their their um, yolk sac. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, with the other babies I had raised from rescues before, um, they would only take life. Well, they they started on the um, the. Uh, uh, I'm trying to, the, the bio gold, um, it, you know, I could go grab the, the, um, the, the it's a, it's a Hikari, um, discus bio gold plus, and boy, yeah. the, the babies would start eating that within, you know, um, boy, a, a, a day after coming out of the shell and, and they're still having their yolk sac. And then after they start eating those pellets, then I switched them to, um, new life spectrum float which is, yeah. um, uh, That's and that one you told me about, right. Flow. That one has no soy in it. And, um, you know, the, the growth is just, you know, smooth and fast. And I, I never, I struggled to get the babies on pellets that this was the first year I've never had to, had to worry about that. Um, usually I could only get them starting to eating black worm and, um, frozen brine shrimp and, cut apart, um, pinky mice, you know, whatever. Yeah. But this, but this year, I mean, boy, they, um, or I should say this last year, they just started eating the pellets right away with, um, switching those. And I, you know, I smell them. I go, well, they smell more fishy instead of kind of like, um, you know, when I smell regular turtle pellets, 
they smell chemical chemical to me, you know, instead of Yeah, they um, don't smell good. I'll give you that. It's not fun <laughs> to open a new bag of anything. Yeah, and, and, and these other ones, it, it smells like food. I mean, it actually smells like chopped fish. And yeah. so I could see why the babies were so drawn to them right away. And, um, you know, and, and they, and, but I could see, you know, where you've got all these turtles you got to feed that um, I, I know uh, a, a number of the, the, the people I said, well, feed your, your females um, the, you know, to save the money, feed them the um, Missouri. And, you know, cause you know, added estrogens are just going to help them, you know, uh, produce more eggs. I said, and then right. your males, if you keep them separate so they don't bully the females all year long, um, uh, right when they come out of brumation, feed them this, you know, the, the non-soy, get their fertility up, let them do their thing, and then switch them to the, you know, back to the Missouri, you know, that where you can save the money. But, you know, just really boost the males with nutrition that doesn't have the soy. Um, but... I know uh, some of the breeders are like, well, I keep my males with the females all year round. And I go, oh. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so. And the harder part is the the a, a lot of the breeding does take place during that warm-up, whether it's the beginning or the end. The breeding will happen typically before you start feeding. Like, because in that 65 degree to 70 degree mm -hmm range or 60 to 70 uh, food um oh oh i oh yes now um it was I remember food. so yeah right you yeah you were you were telling us patrick that um they start mating before you even start feeding and so yeah. i'm trying to figure out when do we gut load these males with a non-soy food source and so it would be before they go into brumation it would be, yeah, it would be before and then after they wake up and then any, because they will breed after because, you know, boys will be boys. It's going to happen. But the majority <laughs> of it is going to take place um, kind of while the females are still really sluggish. And I just think the male's smaller size, they can do more with less. So they can have a little bit more energy when the females don't because it just takes it takes less energy for them to warm up and get going which you know is not it's a little weird and it's a little uh uncomfortable i guess but that's just the way that it goes is the males have to take advantage when they can so they warm up a little sooner the females aren't as active and that's when the breeding takes place yeah i noticed with my paintings outside um, they were breeding um, uh, when the nights were at around 60, yeah. and uh, then in the and then in the fall, when the nights dropped down to 60, they were breeding again. And so um, and uh, and usually um, then the females would just not want anything to do with the males and and uh, or the male. I only kept you know the um, the clown's brother with my two females mm -hmm. and then i i move him back to be with the males and then and then we we get these periods of all of a sudden we're gonna have this little cold spell and then i put him back in there with you know, with them and every egg that was um she didn't break was fertile yeah um but 
Yeah, it, it I'm just a learning. lot cooler. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm just now. What question did you have, Ben mm. Matthew? How much do you think cold temperature affects sperm production and breeding and egg production and all of that? Like, is it just 50 or do you think at 45 they produce more? Because I know with like like snake sperm specifically, if it gets too warm, it'll die. So you have to have that cold temperature in order to like, in some anyway, you have to have that cold temperature in order to produce it and trigger the production. So I'm, I'm kind of interested in how that, um, what you know, for I don't know if the temperature itself makes a difference. And I, I mean that in the most honest fashion, like I, I don't know. And I, what I do know is that the, just the cooling down and warming up plays a really big role in fertility for both sides because you could have an older male and a younger female. And um, if you don't cool down that female and you, you could witness the male breeding her, she will give you eggs, but you could have a really, really low fertility rate. Um, but there are a lot of indoor guys who their cool down is more of a time thing as opposed to an actual temperature thing, because inside you're gonna really struggle to get your water cool. Um, like to an outdoor kind of a degree, like you, you can't be indoors and have a 38 degree pond there. There's just really no way to do that. Um, so a lot of indoor guys will cool down their turtles just enough to stop them. So they're in a, they're in a brumation state. They're kind of, you know, sluggish at the bottom. They're not moving, but to get, uh, readiers to that state, I mean, you're talking 50 and below. So really, I mean, a lot of guys are hitting 50, you know, 48, 45, anywhere in there, which is cool. But as opposed to like my water, I, I'll have my water in, I've seen 28 degrees, you know, oh, with man. like a bunch of ice on top and it's water on the bottom. And I'll have first year males make it through just fine. I've had too many juveniles at some points, yearlings, you know, just little guys like that. And they can, they can take it just fine. But, um, I think it's more just about the time spent in that state and then waking up. But uh, I, I've heard from a few different guys that like the longer the period, the brumation period, the more fertile their animals tend to be. So for some guys, it's a trade-off. Some guys don't buy into that. But um, I know some people would rather stay outside because they think, well, I have a longer winter and a little shorter breeding season but my season is efficient. You know, they get much, they get much better percentages of like fertility out of a clutch than some indoor guys who are aiming for 50, 60%, 70 is a, you know, it's a really good clutch for them. Whereas a lot of outdoor guys can have 10 to 12 eggs in a clutch and every one of them is fertile and, you know, they can all make it to term or only lose one or two. Oh man, there's so many factors in there. There's sun, yeah. there's barometric pressure, there's weather, there's, everything. there's the yeah. cold, there's, yeah, you can't just be like, oh, well, they're outside, so it's this, it's clearly this. No, yeah. it's... Now, when they're outside, there's no telling, but it's just a lot of guys think it works outside, they live outside, it's where they're meant to be, let's just leave it at that. Right. Which, it's hard snake. to argue with. 
Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah, you got to snake people keeping snakes in boxes. So, <laughs> you know, well, it's different though. Like it, you couldn't keep your snakes outside all That's year. That's not true. That is not true. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, Chuck Poland, uh, he keeps his diamond pythons outside in an enclosure all year round. Uh, he's in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Crutchfield keeps everything outside. Ron St. Those Pierre Florida guys keep, keep everything outside. Yeah, those Florida guys do yeah. keep everything outside. Everything, Why wouldn't yeah. you? It's it's kind of cheating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, people keep snakes outside. I just, you wouldn't want to keep your little pencil-sized horn snake outside. I mean, you'd lose it probably. But Yeah, and with the turtles, just about any state, you could get away with keeping red ears outside. Not every state, but just about any state. And with snakes and most other species species of reptile, you'd have to just so happen to be in a climate that fits. Right. But red ears, they're so invasive. I mean, Peggy, you've seen them where you are, and they should not be anywhere near there. Now, I don't think an artificial pond would work. That's too small. But an actual pond or a lake, they're going to bury down at the bottom, and they'll make it just fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here, ironically, at um, we have what's called the South Dakota Game Fish and Parks campus, and you go there to learn archery and um, wild game cooking, and you know all, all you know cleaning a rifle, you know, all these these sorts of things, fishing, canoeing, um, and you know they've got a big pond. They've actually two big ponds at the campus in Rapid City. Well, anyway, so here I'm, Joel and I are photographing at this pond. And they've, they've got soft shells there. Um, I think we saw a spiny soft shell. They've got two, you know, good common snappers. And then, uh, and, I, and I, I was looking through my long lens, and they have a yellow-bellied slider, so they have an invasive species in the game fishing parks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pond. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if anybody's called attention to that, you know. And so then, um, and then one of the biologists I was talking to, and, and um, most of the biologists in South Dakota, they study the upland game birds and, and the, um, the, the big game and, yeah. and the fisheries. And so they, they're, they um, they, I've just talked with their, their new herpetologist, which is a first for me to meet. And we're going to have her on as a, as a guest with, um, highlighting her research. And then, um, and another one, um, they're trying to, um, clarify the, the turtle laws in the state. So anyway, the um, uh, she uh, in talking with in networking with some of the game and fish over the turtles, they go well. If someone lets loose a, a red ear slider, it you know it, it can't survive here. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm you know we're we're out there as the ice is is breaking and, and the first thing in the spring, and there's a big red ear slider you know on the log with painted turtles. So they are surviving our winters, especially in these larger ponds and small lakes that we can rarely see them so yeah um and so the uh i'm setting up volunteers where we're going to go and do some plain air oil painting along the shore and and have a turtle trap going (laughs) and doing the census to see what we find and yeah and uh, so what what species would you like us to send you patrick if we find some exotic species here Uh, I mean, I don't know if you can call the red ears exotic species, but, I mean, what's a few more, you know? 
Yeah. Once you hit yeah, that, that yellow belly. <laughs> What's that? But once you hit a certain point, it doesn't matter anymore. What's a, yeah, just, what's a handful yeah. more? Yeah. Just throw them in with something. We'll figure it out. Yeah. I actually, I yeah. gave away a bunch of normals for the same situation. Someone had them, they shouldn't, and they gave them to me. And then I gave them to some kid that wanted them. And then uh, shortly after that is when uh, the paradox became like available. And it's that it's a dominant gene. And so I just needed a few males and some normal females to start producing those. And as soon as I could get my hands on it, I had given away all my normal ones. And I was like, Ugh, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> well, depending on what I catch, um, uh, then I'll, I'll, I'll message you and say, hey, this is what I got. I have to get rid of them. They have they have to either go or you know or or be euthanized. So I'll I'll see if you want to take them. <laughs> yeah. So you're not Sounds breeding like... any any yellow belly, or you're you're. Just... I have yeah, what are some... you breeding? Well, I'm really just breeding the red ears and just focusing on new combos that uh, I don't think anyone else is really working on or focusing on. Um, Kind of back to that exanthic. I have I have two or three different things in my collection that standalone morphs. They're nothing to write home about. They're not crazy, but I think the potential mixing into other genes is really really high, and so that's kind of what I'm after. Which is, if you know me, that's that's the most typical thing I would ever do. Is why make it easy and buy like a pair of something that's compatible and just breed them. I'm taking stuff that has never been put together and we're taking the long road and making new stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's mostly what I'm trying to work on is new double hats and triple hats for morphs that have never been put together. Um, I, we do have some yellow bellies. I actually have, I have one in, they call it an integrate. It's a hybrid. I get fed up when people, they try to sell it, and they're like, it's an integrate. I'm like, don't make it fancy. You know what you did. But um, <laughs> I have uh, I have one. get it in the wild at the integrate zone. Yeah, no, it's not no. an integrate. No, 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 no. no that's a, they're, they're separate species. If it's a separate species, the redder slider and the yellow belly slider, if yeah. they interbreed, it's a hybrid. Now, yep. if I if I breed my western painted with my midland painted it's an integrate you know right um, because it's um they're considered subspecies so when two subspecies come together you know then they um yeah they call it an integrate yeah, so, yeah the diamondback guys can have their integrates that's fine painting people you you too but sliders no that's not an integrate and we know it you're just trying to trick someone they've got yeah. those um albino yellow bellies have you seen those oh yeah 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 they're not they're not yellow bellies they're integrades oh, they're just hybrids yeah every one of them oh yeah. oh wow you'll notice the thing that i've noticed with hybrids is that you get a whole bunch more color and a whole you get a lot more pretty stuff and i'm gonna take like carpet pythons for example because that's an easy one um like a diamond a diamond coastal or a diamond jungle jag is a very very pretty snake well yeah but it's also a hybrid because you're you're bringing out more more potential when you're crossing that that species threshold 
I think. So there is something. I, I, I have noticed. I, I have noticed that in the painted turtle integrates that um, I, I've um, a, a breeder in the Netherlands and um, I can't remember the, where the other breeder is, um, where they've got a, a Western cross with a Southern. And I think it was a, a Southern high color, you know, high color where it has a lot of the, the scoot outlines and uh, in, in bright orange and it may have wow. been someone I, in I Indonesia. I think I know the, the turtle you're talking about, actually. It looks very yeah. different. Like, it's clearly a painted turtle, but, like, the pattern and the color is gorgeous, but none of it matches, like, the shape and everything. It's a beautiful turtle, and yeah. I have no problem with it because it's just, he has a bunch of painteds and that just kind of popped out. And I think it's, I, I love yeah. it. I don't have a yeah. problem with hybrids or integrades. I, I have a problem with people who try to sell it off as like a new gene or a new morph or something to trick a new guy yeah. to spending way too much money. That's the problem. And like, you know, with sliders, there's so many. Who cares if we hybridize them? It's not, there's no conservation being affected or anything like that. But with, uh, and even painted turtles, there's so many in the wild, they, but they're more concerned than, than sliders. But like, just be honest about it, and no one's gonna be mad at you for owning a hybrid. They're unique. They're really right. cool, yeah. and they're very different. That's and it goes great. back to what you were saying. I have a pair of hybrids that are, uh, what are they? They're, they're Venusta crossed with, um, Rio Grande. Just normal. There's no special genes in there, but they are just this vibrant green pattern overlaid on like a Tennessee Vols orange shell. And it looks like something that, you know, you would only get out of a high-end recessive clown gene, but it's just a farmer in Florida where like one turtle hopped a pen and for two or three years now, it's been like retained sperm and the same female just lays hybrids. And um, that they don't serve me any purpose. I probably shouldn't have bought them, but I was like, they're really cool. So I, I just oh. picked up a pair of them. Well, and that's that's yeah. the thing. I think we need to figure out the in you know the humans and the keeping anyway. Figure out what we all feel is kind of okay because like the carpet python guys will complain about that diamond jungle cross because it they they're not related at all. But yet the green tree guys are putting together a biak and a naru which look completely different morphologically even, and and that's fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, there's a whole, there's a whole divide here of what's okay and what's not. Yeah, you've got, and, like, purists, and then you've got people who will just throw anything together and see what happens. Yeah, let's throw ball <laughs> pythons with Burmese and see if it sticks. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, 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 I was talking, I was showing Patrick, you know, the... Um, what I was seeing out of the that clutch, out of that big female that had the, the, the shell rot. And um, uh, there was two two coming out of the clutch that were growing a, a real light milky green. And and I said, you know, and I said, I've, I've not seen this before in any youngster I've ever caught. And, I, you know, I'm wondering what it's going to look like, you know, by the time it's three or four inches. Well, those two... Um, are the ones that are the um, the cannibals, <laughs> and and they're they're growing the fastest, and they 
they've lost the milky green, but they are um, a bright green with really bold orange um, mapping on them. <clears throat> um, I mean, so uh, those are the two <clears throat> that I've put in the, the big tank behind me um, just to, to save them from, or save their, their smaller siblings from their cannibalism. They, they were biting hunks out of the, 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 the back end of the, the, the turtles, um, like right at the other side of uh, the, the tail dock. <clears throat> and uh, it's just, I've never seen that. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen the, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the nipped tails, but I've never seen that type of ferociousness. And, and they're fat. I mean, I was over, you know, overfeeding them to try to get as much growth as possible so we can release them in June instead of July. But, yeah. um, you know, uh, you know, you were right that it's, it's not, you know, I, I thought it was going to come out to be almost like a, a ghost-like morph because it was it what um, as they were growing they were so much more pale compared to their siblings, but now, um, yeah, they still are a lighter, brighter green instead of an olive green, but um, and 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 they've got more mapping and and they've got three racing stripes down their backs <laughs> instead of just you know the one bolder one. Yeah, and, the one that's like uh, right down the like right down the dorsals. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it doesn't have the real strong dorsals as uh, the southern paintings do. Um, I'd say the the dorsal stripe is more like a third of what you'd see in a southern painted. But then beside that um, uh, dorsal stripe, they've got two other. You know, uh, on either side, they they have a. A line on the other side. I can grab one. I'm gonna I'm gonna grab one. See if it'll show up on the the, the, the camera here. It doesn't take long for reptile people to be like, yeah, let me just let me show you something. <laughs> Any excuse to grab one. <laughs> oh man, yeah. my goal is to take a trip and just from here down to Miami and stop at as many people's houses as I possibly can along the way. Oh, no, you uh, that'd be a hell of a road trip. Yeah, yeah, it would be. 3,000 miles there, 3,000 miles back. You could take Don't, two different routes, hit totally oh, cool. different people on the way there and the way back, and record yeah. a podcast with every single one. I'd have content for like three years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> I can see the mapping really clearly. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's just, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, not even like that uh, olive green. I mean, that's very green for a Western. Yeah. The Western's very well, so see, now, much. Yeah, now you can kind of see the three stripes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, she's just really bold. And, and uh, she's um, the, the size of a, a yearling. I mean, she's just, yeah, just a, but a mean sucker. <laughs> But the one, um, one of the ones that I'm sending you um, is uh, kind of like this one, um, but it's got the belly pattern, uh, you know, belly pattern of the, um, uh, let me think here, um, the, the carapace of the mother and the belly pat pattern of my clown's brother. And I, you're going to really like her. She's... <laughs> um, Really, really uh, light colored, like mom. Really unique painted turtle. So I'll I'll send you pictures of those two 
tomorrow. I got to clean their tank tomorrow. Okay, but, cool. Uh, well, I look forward to that. I want to take pictures of turtles. I love when people show me <laughs> all their stuff. Well, as soon as we can count on the weather, those are the two that I'm sending you. Um, those those two babies. And um, I'm excited just, to get them. I'm hoping I get eggs from that female that was with the male. She's not gravid yet, but I mean it's March, so yeah, you know. Yeah, who knows? I, yeah. We we were still concerned last time I talked to whether you didn't know if she was going to survive or not um, from that. Uh, she's made. She's come back all the way. She's good now. She good, was just like good. real slow to bounce back. I'm not really sure what happened. Her eyes cleared up all the way. She had just. I, I think I sent you pictures. It was almost like algae had grown over her eyelids and they were shut and um i i went and i bought some of those turtle eye drops and before i had actually got them i reached out to a breeder buddy of mine and he was like just make your own saline solution and try that and so that stuff kind of got back ordered and it took a while so i was just using a dropper and i i used uh i, I made a saline solution every day use warmer water that was fresh or whatever and um, one I started to open before the actual like medicated drops came in. And when they came in, I started to use them and I turned it over and read the label. And essentially it's just saline solution with vitamin A. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and so, I mean, literally I had a water bottle like this that I had salt water in and I'd mix it up, make sure it was right and just drip it over her eyes and it would kill that algae and slowly but surely her eyes started to open she started to wake up i started upping the temperature a little bit and she's in a breeding pond right now with sliders but yeah so we'll see if that male got her he he yeah. didn't leave her alone for a day now i mean oh. never so i i think <laughs> she'll it, he had to get her once or 15 times or something like he, <laughs> he did not he did not leave her alone he knew what he was about nice. okay good yeah yeah it's um well like i said i i don't i i've got to get back into producing artwork and and my my turtle um hobby through the pandemic is i i've got to cut back i just i joke like i'm over turtled <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know you know and uh in talking to the game and fish um this last week you know they want to make a a, a, a public service interest story about um our local reptile club and volunteers wanting to help with um relocating turtles from drying ponds and and, and releasing these egg road rescues and and so that's fun and and then uh um but you know uh it, it, any of the the get that i get out of Brayer and fiona you know, I'm, I'm sending your way because <laughs> it's just, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I need to get back into painting and drawing and sculpting and yeah, the, the, I, I don't yeah, have I mean, room. I'll take, I'll take as many painted turtles that carry a clown <laughs> gene as you want to send and then we'll send them back whenever the clown itself is big enough, whichever sex it ends up being. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, um, she, it, it's growing and, you know, I got another growth spurt, um, out of it. Um, and I just, you know, um, you know, when I, when I hear about, 
uh, one person said he had a, a small female and he thought he it, uh, was talking to him. It, it was going to take another year or two to grow, you know, to it laid one or two eggs for him. And mm -hmm. he goes, I couldn't believe, you know, and they were normal size eggs out of, yeah. um, out of um, the same size as, as the clown is. And uh, I thought, hmm, well, maybe I'll, I'll put the clown with her brother and just see what happens. And yeah. well, I, I, I did that. And the clown attacked her brother to the point where he grabbed, <laughs> grabbed onto the back end of the, uh, of the shell and would not let go. <laughs> I mean, I've got a video of it. I mean, it's just like, I mean, I've never just the seen... complete opposite of what you thought would happen. Yeah, you were worried about yeah. the clown going in there and she was like, let's go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, and I, I've never, ever have seen that kind of aggression in Painted Turtles. And I didn't know if, it, you know, uh, I don't know if you have or, mm -mm. I mean. Mine are all passive. Did I, yeah, <laughs> did I send you that video? Oh, I don't think so. I, oh, I'll, I'll send you the video because it is, it is unbelievable. It is, uh, and, and it, it only took like about 10 seconds for her to go on her to go on the attack. I mean, it was just... You just saw him, it was like, oh, it's on? Just out of nowhere? Yeah, and, right. So I thought, okay, it's attacking a, a male. Let me put a... You know, so I took took her brother out. I put in a female, and she attacked the female. I put in a smaller turtle, attacked the smaller turtle, and, and I mean, it's just... I've never seen such territorialism, or I... Especially, I, she's I got know. little man syndrome, because she's not that big. <laughs> He yeah, thought she was going to get bullied and was like, you thought wrong. You got another yeah. thing coming your way. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's about, it's only the three, um, uh, three and, a, and three quarters inches right now. Mm. And, uh, um, yeah, I, and it, it seems like um, the, the the soft tissue is growing faster than the shell. Yeah. And I've so, noticed that with some stuff before, too. Like they're yeah. almost outgrowing the shell. Like it's going to yeah. get fat like in here and then also the normal like kind of in the back legs. Right. And and so I, I right now um, I'm putting her through a cool down and to see if that will get the thyroid in properly. Because that's another thing that I had read that if turtles that normally brumate aren't allowed to brumate, the, their thyroid gets um, screwed up. And so um, I've um, barely been feeding them. And so right now I've got this tank starting on the cool down. It's, um, I've got the water now at just uh, 68. And when I reached in there, like, ooh, it is rather cool. <laughs> and right now, you know, it's, uh, you can see them uh, starting to follow one another around. <laughs> But it's, uh, they're starting to do their, uh, their mating dance. But I, I'm yeah. afraid that, um, I, uh, I, I, I want to take the, um, the, uh, the ones out of there that keep attacking the others so that they don't attack, you know, the, the penis of the clown's brother, you know, yeah. it's like, uh, yeah, I, I don't want that to happen. So I'll be, uh. I have to set up another tank for those piranhas. <laughs> That's a tough way but, for them to go. I've, I think I've lost two that way. I think it's just two, but I mean, it's tough because there's nothing, 
if they if they really get them, there's just nothing you can do. Like you can take them to a vet and they can amputate it and all that. And if it's like a if it's a pet, I completely get it. But unfortunately for a guy for guys that are like in my situation where you you need a stud, you just can't. And it's it's not cheap. It's not like I'm just not willing to spend hundred bucks. If it was like a cheap surgery, I would do that, and then I'd give it to someone that wants a good pet. But it's like it's very expensive, especially in the area I live, because there's not a lot of reptile people. There's not any special reptile vets. I'm very fortunate that we have a, a vet that's been around for a long time, and he'll just let me show up and tell him, I'm like, this is what's wrong, this is what I need, and this is how we need to do it. And he just like signs, he's like, there you go, you just, sure. And so, like, we can get that kind of stuff done, but uh, something like that, you just kind of have to hope for the best. Like, I, I had one, he didn't get attacked, he was trying to breed and got, he got his penis sucked into the pump. And Oof. it didn't, it didn't hit the impeller, but it pulled it out, like, all the way. But he was prolapsed as much as you could possibly get it. And the vet was like, we don't do turtle surgery. He's like, I'll give you medicine. You know, I could, you know, fix him up a little bit. But he was like, I don't know how to do that. And me and one of my best friends, no joke, had to watch videos and put it back in and so and stitch it shut just with what we had on wow. hand. And the vet was like, yeah, we didn't even know that that was like a procedure. <laughs> I watched a video in Chinese or Japanese, turned on the subtitles like I was – you know, like I was trying to install something in my house, like a DIY video. And and I I called my best friend, and he, he grew up with turtles, but, you know, he didn't, like, get into it. And I was like, hey, uh, I was like, do you know how to sew? And he was like, yeah, I can sew. And I was like, all right. Uh, I was like, can you, whenever you get off, can you come by the house right quick? I just, you know, something, I have something that needs to get sewn up a little bit. And he's like, okay. And then he called me back because he knows me, and he's like, what do you what do you need me to do? And I was like, it's just it's not it's really small. It's not a big deal. He was like, you tell me right now what are we doing? And I was like, we're we well, it's kind of surgery on a turtle penis. And he was like, no, 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 no. I thought you meant like a shirt or pants. I'm not stitching up a turtle's dick. And I was like, well, I mean, you gotta. I can't do it. <laughs> and so, long story short, he came over. And now, anytime I see him, he'll just go doctor and i'm like doctor and we'll like we could pass each other just like in a hallway or something but he was good. so against it better ask my closing questions before your phone dies and we keep talking about turtles for another two hours yeah um yeah. uh what uh if you could keep anything extinct mammalian whatever you want uh you have to be breeding it you have to be producing it. What okay. would you? What would you? What would you keep? Mm. Does it? Wait, it has to be extinct. No, no, it could be oh. anything. It could be a turtle that you just can't get your hands on because it's perfect. yeah. It would uh, sea turtles, hundred percent. Perfect, perfect. Oh. A reptile. You are one of the first. An only reptile, <laughs> reptile people to answer that question. So, yeah, no, it would be, I would do anything to have a group of breeding sea turtles. Oh, wow. That, yeah, yeah we, we've it would had, be super cool. 
I, I yep. can agree with that statement. That would be, yeah, that's yeah. like I, the penultimate yeah. turtle. So I, I get that. am surprised that there aren't, uh, there's not a process to get a permit for private collections solely for assurance colonies of turtles because or for sea turtles uh, because one of the things going on is they're like, oh, well, with global warming, all the turtles are female because none of the nest temperatures are cool enough to produce males. And you just you just want to pull your hair out. You're like, then incubate enough eggs for male. Just do yeah. that. You don't yeah. have to breed the turtles. You don't have to keep the turtles. You just have to select or you just have to dig up random eggs from random beaches on the same kind of coastlines that make up the general same population right. or you get really specific and like these eggs came from this beach we'll let them go here incubate the right number for males hold them back is that a lot of work absolutely but it's not any more work than like a zoo an aquarium any place like that has to deal with hundreds of other animals just dedicate a facility to holding back 500 to a thousand sea turtles raise them up to that dinner plate yearling size and then release that many males back into the wild. Right. I, I can't believe that no one yeah. is doing that because that's yeah. their main problem is the predation rate of hatchlings, uh, the predation rate of nests, and then the actual hatchlings that survive are 90 something. It's, it's 95, 99 something high 90% female. And these are all solvable problems. But you hear people complain about the turtles are going extinct and, you know, it's about straws and pollution. And, like, don't get me wrong, of course that plays a part. But, you know, at some point, when do you say, okay, we need to intervene while there's still a big enough sample size that we can take those out of the equation, that it won't disrupt the natural order and put them back in and everything is still in place? Right. That I would love to somehow work on that someday. I'm glad you asked that yeah. question because I, <laughs> I've looked into getting something like that started, and it is, it's a mountain of paperwork to even ask the right people the right questions. But I, I just think yeah. it's absurd that there's a complaint. Like you don't tell me that it's a problem. I just solved it. Give yeah. me a warehouse, right. turn it into an incubator. I'll fix the turtle gender problem right off the bat. Yeah, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. But, it seems like a, a part of it is you, they don't want to fix the problem because if you fix the problem, then there's no problem to manage. Right. So there's uh, no more save the turtle movement. Right. Exactly. And yeah. that would, that would lose so much funding. Oh, the so. paper straw industry would be distraught. Right. Right. hundred <laughs> <Just> percent. <posted. laughs> um, yeah. If you had any advice to a new keeper, what would you give? to a new keeper like specifically of just like aquatic it's turtles someone who wants to get into breeding and yes we'll have to stick with turtles on your end okay um, let's speak from your experience um be be prepared for a lot of stuff to go wrong it's gonna happen um it happens to everybody more than you would expect um all the big guys will get they'll have significant losses on really important projects but they're big enough to not say anything and no one knows uh don't feel bad about it it's part of it um i saw a quote the other day i think it was um 
if you don't fail, then you never tried. And I think that's probably the thing that speaks the most to any reptile keeping is it's not going to go well 100% of the time, no matter the research, the money, the time, um, even like the love that you put in. And people, you know, don't think of turtles as, or reptiles in general as an animal that you can love because they don't show the same kind of love back. But it, but it's a different type of feeling. It's a different type of um but connection that you have with those animals. And I think, I think the biggest thing I would say is just to be prepared to experience unexpected types of losses and setbacks and to not be embarrassed by it and to not be, not let it deter you because everyone that if you idolize someone, you know, you're like, I want, you know, this to be kind of where I am. You know, you look up to someone that person has had that same type of accident or failure or mishap time and time and time again to get to where they are. So I would take your time and don't be discouraged when the inevitable happens and something goes, something goes wrong. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Advice. That's the way it is in horse breeding too. We learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Or to ask so. or to reach out. That's another part I would say. Yeah, a lot of us are willing to help you through that without judging you. Most people, you know, if you're like, hey, this passed away or I did this, no one's going to be like, oh, well, it's because you're an idiot. You're going to hear a lot of men that sucks. I'm so sorry. I wish that hadn't happened. Or, well, w- what happened? Walk me through it. And then they'll try to backtrack and be like, okay, here's, here's where you went wrong. Maybe try this. Because I think a lot of the turtle guys are very supportive and want oh, yeah. to see other guys succeed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find that I found that with the turtle network that I didn't know exist until this clown came, you know, into being and just, just how, um, forthright everybody was on, uh, wanting me to keep it alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it's like, yeah, I think they were worried. It's like, well, yeah, I've kept turtles all my life, but, you know, I've never raised them to breed them, but you know, I know how to keep it alive, but I yeah. want to know, all the ins and outs of what you guys are finding with this particular genetic package. And boy, just so many, you know, go to this breeder who's breeding the uh, Eastern painted go to this, you know? Yeah. So it's, I really like the community. It is a good community. I yeah, it's, can attest to it that really is. so far from what I've seen. Anyway, Patrick, where can we find you at? Cause I still need to find you. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Southern Sliders. Uh, I did, I pretty much post just on there. I've had a few people ask me, uh, to make videos and I've thought about making a YouTube channel. I, I end up building just about everything that I use. Um, like I, like I told you, I had a month and I had to DIY a whole breeding system in the basement. And I, I thought I was like, this would be great to show someone uh, but I just had too much on the line and too much pressure to actually record that. But, um, yeah, that's where you can find me is just on Instagram at Southern Sliders. And that's okay. where I do the prim- primarily all of my, like, posting and communicating and everything. And awesome. it is Southern underscore Sliders. Yeah. All right. It'll be down below in the show notes as well. Um, okay. Peggy, uh, <laughs> do you want to plug your plug your instagram or oh um well i'm i don't have a 
per se turtle Instagram. It's just uh, Detmers Studios, and uh, it's it's all run together two two S's together there. Just Detmers Studios, and there you'll see my life with um, my artwork, my turtles, my dogs, and uh, and um, that's oh yeah, and Joel too. <laughs> Oh yeah, that guy is sitting over there. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's the one that I I rope into all my turtle adventures. So at this point in time, the uh, software we were using to record on failed. Um. Anyway, for Peggy and Joel's turtle adventures, check them out over on Instagram. We'd also like to thank Patrick for his time and you, the listeners. Well, if you've made it this far, you're a trooper. Thank you very much. As for me and the podcast, you can find us at Herp Talk Radio on Instagram, herptalkradio at gmail.com. Tune in next week and uh, or whenever you're listening. Have a good day, night, evening. We'll see you next time.